Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is afraid to talk about. The Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at all your favorite podcast platforms. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com. This is episode 176 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Sunday, June 19th, 2022. Happy Father's Day. Is it possible to show criminal malfeasance of the vaccine makers in less than five minutes? That's coming up. Why did the FDA just approve COVID vaccines for babies, making the United States of America the only country in the world to approve COVID vaccines for babies? That's coming up. How much money has Dr. Fauci made off the vaccines? Is Dementia Joe a certified pedophile? Also, did the staff of a late-night network TV show just commit insurrection at the U.S. Capitol in the last few days? And what's the latest on our January 6th prisoners? All these stories coming up on today's podcast. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen, so this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you would like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Okay, Dr. Mike Yeadon, Y-E-A-D-O-N, used to be chief scientist and vice president of the Allergy and Respiratory Research Division of Pfizer. Yeah, that Pfizer. Now, I wanted to play you his two-minute explanation for why he thinks the vaccine makers have shown criminal malfeasance and how they created the COVID vaccines, but I became concerned because he has a pronounced British accent and the recording, apparently by Skype or Zoom, is less than pristine, it might be hard for you to understand everything Dr. Mike Yeadon was saying. Fortunately, though, I was able to find a transcript of the video. Over at uh, James Hill, Dr. James Hill's newsletter, Hill MD at Substack. And Dr. Hill is a physician, scientist, and attorney. So the name of his little article over on his Substack: Choice of Spike Protein by Competing Companies as Sole COVID Vaccine Target Reveals Bioweapon Operation. Yikes. Subtitle. There could be no worse COVID jab antigen. Toxic, rapidly mutating to escape vaccinal immunity and having human-like protein sequences to provoke autoimmunity, says Pfizer ex-boss. Now, this article dropped on June 16th and was updated yesterday, June 18th. So, 
Here's how it goes. In a video interview, Pfizer's former respiratory medicine chief, Michael Yeadon, Ph.D., decries use of the SARS-CoV-2 viral spike protein for COVID vaccines as highly toxic, rapidly mutating to enable vaccinal immune escape and containing too many human-like amino acid sequences provoking autoimmune reactions in many injectees. In agreement, this newsletter has noted potentially deadly design features of current COVID vaccines and the incredible coincidence, quote-unquote, and the awful, quote, choice, unquote, a full-length spike protein targeting by multiple vaccine companies. There are signs COVID is a bioweapon operation. Supposedly competing companies making at least the first four authorized COVID vaccines, Pfizer-BioNTech, Moderna, AstraZeneca, and Johnson & Johnson, coincidentally made the same terrible vaccine target choices. Number one, producing mRNA or DNA vaccines and coding the full-length toxic viral spike protein translated in each recipient in an uncontrolled variable dose. Number two, not including any other antigen targets than the spike protein, facilitating easy immune escape. Number three, not removing from the encoded spike protein any dangerous epitopes, that is, amino acid sequence regions, that can induce blood clotting, autoimmunity, or inflammation. And number four, making the vaccines reduce illness, hospitalization, and deaths, at least for early viral strains, but not substantially block infection or transmission, aiding selection of more virulent variants. Oh, my. Dr. Yeadon. Here is the interview excerpt for Dr. Yeadon. He says, in choosing virus antigens for a vaccine, you should pick bits of the virus that are genetically most stable. Now, I don't know that we knew it at the beginning, but it's certainly true now. The thing that undergoes mutational variation most quickly is the spike protein. Now, you've picked something that's going to rapidly go out of focus, rapidly evolve to a different variant, and your vaccine won't work anymore. But then, here's something they definitely did know. You would pick a part of the virus, and this is most important, most different from humans. So viruses and humans and fungi and bacteria are all living organisms. They have some relationships because we all probably originated from the same instantation of life. 
And he says there's been evolution ever since, so there are genetic similarities and differences. Okay, I can't get into the whole creation versus evolution argument. I'm just telling you what he said, okay? We can do that perhaps on a different show. But he says, you can run computer protein sequence searches and you can find the bits of the virus that are most virusy and most dissimilar from anything else in your body. Spike protein is slightly similar to lots of bits of human. Guess what, guess what happens if you do that? You make an immune response to bits of protein that look a bit like you. And sometimes you end up with a spillover. That's called an autoimmune response. So, just to say again, you deselect things that are toxic in their own right. You pick up things that are genetically stable. And you pick things that are most different from humans. All three of those criteria teach you away from picking spike protein. But guess what? Moderna picks spike protein. Ooh, and so does Pfizer and AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson. So I put it to you, colleagues, any scientists out there or just logical people, how on earth would they pick? No team I was ever part of would have picked bloody spike protein for this vaccine. And you know what? If we did, and we had competing groups, we would not, all four of us companies, make the same mistake. It's not possible. Good drug discovery is not a mistake. I believe it's collusion and malfeasance. They did it on purpose, knowing it would hurt you. And then they have the link to the full video interview with Dr. Yeadon on this um, radical podcast with Majid Nawaz. Oh, my goodness. I mean, does that make sense to you? And there is a link to another article on James Hill's, Dr. James Hill's Substack newsletter called 49 Telltale Signs COVID is a Bioweapon Operation. Subtitle, Leaders and Media are Paid to Carry It Out. But I'm no scientist, but the guy who used to be a vice president of Pfizer is saying, clearly, obviously, the four companies making the COVID vaccine Pick the worst possible thing, the spike protein, to each one of them put in their vaccines, supposedly working independently from each other, the worst possible thing for the people who are getting the vaccines. Just thought uh, thought I should share that with you, you know? He says it's showing criminal malfeasance. What do you think? And that's rough. That's rough. I do have some uh, some audio from some folks about the whole vaccine situation. Doctor Paul Merrick talking about the uh, the adverse effects of the vaccine. Paul is originally from South Africa. He's been all over the world. He's the number two ICU doctor, most published. 
number two in the world. And he is here to tell you the truth about his reaction to what he just heard up here. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Paul Merrick. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. My heart is so broken. I can't keep quiet anymore. We know these vaccines cause at least 2 to 3% of people who get them will have adverse events like you just heard. They're not making this up. 2 to 3%. Now you figure out how many people have been vaccinated in this country and across the world. There are millions of people who are suffering. They're being ignored. They're not getting treatment and they're suffering. We know exactly what their diagnosis is. I know exactly what it is. I know what it's caused by and I know how to treat it and they will not let us treat these people. The NIH knows about these people. They know what causes it and they will not treat these people and that has to change there's no disease in medicine that you can't treat it's never too late it's never too late these people these vaccine injured people are suffering and we need to do something for them this is a humanitarian crisis Sorry, I just had to say that because it's a travesty. We have treatments for these people. It's not perfect, but we need to come out of the closet and offer them treatments. We need to work together and figure out what works and what doesn't work. It's a crime against humanity. Okay, thank you. I've said my bit. I got another... uh... Another clip from this guy, Dr. Paul Merrick, M-A-R-I-C. This is a a shorter one. Those who vaccinated are more likely to get COVID and be hospitalized than the unvaccinated. So let me say that again. These vaccines provide negative protection. You're more likely to get COVID if you vaccinated. And this is data from the national health system in the UK, as well as from, from Israel. So this persistent narrative of safe and effective is a complete and utter lie. They're ineffective and they're dangerous and they're not safe. There's absolutely, at this time, no group of patients who would actually benefit from the vaccine. None. So what do you think? I mean, what am, what am I supposed to think? Ah, uh, just keep on trusting the government, huh? Just keep on trusting the government. Now, there was uh, a Zoom call. The FDA did a Zoom call the other day as they were trying to figure out um, about... Um, endorsing the idea of vaccinating children all the way down to six months. And uh, they talked about the horrific case of what happened to a 17-month-old little girl in the vaccine trial. 
and regardless of how terrible what happened to her was. They, uh, when they gave her second dose, FDA doctor Peter Marks Peter Marks. Oh no! Wait a second. Oh no! It's this. It's this one right here. Pardon me. Here we go. Yeah, Doctor Marks, I believe, is in on this one. This infant um, was a 17-month-old female. Um, she um, experienced her seizure two days after the first dose. Her maximum temperature was 103.1, um, and she was noted after that initial fever a day later um, to have a macular papular rash uh, on covering her body. Um, her temperature actually reached its T-max of um, 104 on day two. So the seizure happens with 103 temperature um, um, approximately six hours after her vaccination. Um, she um, uh, was treated with ibuprofen and paracetamol, was um, observed in the ER, um, and then discharged to home. Um, she did actually end up having a second febrile seizure, so that happened about six weeks later uh, with, with other um, symptoms of um, fever respiratory infection. And then um, she actually did go on to stay in the study, receive the second dose. Um, she actually did go on to stay in the study, receive the second dose um, without subsequent seizure. And um, so I, I think that's, um, I mean, she continued in the study throughout. She's not um, a discontinuation. 17-year-old baby girl had a seizure. Had a seizure. Um, got to a temperature of 104. And they gave her a second dose. Well, you know, it's a clinical trial. we got to see what's going to happen. Have you heard about this uh, sudden adult death syndrome? Adults dropping dead and... Um, Doctors are just mystified. Just mystified. You remember when back in 2020, there were a couple of doctors from uh, the Bakersfield area. Dan Erickson and Artin Masihi. couple of ER doctors who calmly explained that your immune system needs regular exposure to germs to function properly, distancing, lockdowns, and sterilizing everything puts you at more risk. You remember that? How they got banished from, uh, from social media? Yeah, I remember. I certainly remember that. So, uh, you wonder. Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, a guy who probably has a lot more to do with running this country than Biden ever will, because Biden has dementia. Is out there bragging that we're the only country in the world 
to give the vaccine to babies. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think we're doing that? I have some ideas. But wait, there's more. Again, FDA, Dr. Peter Marks, caught on video saying that kids have a five-fold chance of getting myocarditis if they're vaccinated. He doesn't have a problem with that. Here he is. Um, just about the reported incidence and the baseline rate of myocarditis prior to vaccination. Is, is there any data that you have on that? Yes. So, so there are the, the data. The, there are data on uh, the incidence of myocarditis in this age range, um, and uh, I can pull that out. But um, uh, there, there, this is this is a known phenomena in the twelve to seventeen year old age range, right. and. And the 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 rate that it was seen in uh, uh, in the um, in the twelve to seventeen year olds who were vaccinated seemed to be about fivefold higher than the baseline rate. That's all I need to know. There need to be Nuremberg trials. People need to go to prison for the rest of their lives. Don't tell me this is not intentional. Don't tell me this is not intentional. They know. They're admitting they know. And they're like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it is what they're saying to us. Here's a public service announcement from the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation. Are the kids okay? The data shows that children ages 5 to 11 have a minuscule risk of COVID-19 hospitalization or death or long-haul COVID. Safe prevention and treatment options are available for kids with COVID-19. If treated early, children do not end up in the hospital. But will our kids be okay if they take the COVID-19 vaccines? Some will, some won't. Serious cardiac side effects from the Pfizer vaccines, including myocarditis, are rapidly rising in 16 to 24-year-olds. Myocarditis has a mortality rate of 25 to 56% within 3 to 10 years, owing to progressive heart failure and cardiac arrest. And families are on their own once that happens. Pfizer has zero financial responsibility for any adverse effects from its COVID-19 vaccine. Children already injured by the COVID vaccines have also been unable to get government aid. We don't know how Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine will impact fertility and development. No human reproductive toxicity data has been published to date. We don't know why the Pfizer vaccine interferes with a child's healthy immune response and increases the risk of developing autoimmune disease. We don't know because Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine trials for 5 to 11-year-olds tested the vaccine on fewer than 2,500 kids and observed them for only 2 to 8 weeks after vaccination. Such underpowered trials would fail to detect many signals. Vaccinating kids to protect
protect adults when children themselves don't need the protection violates basic principles of ethics and medicine. Besides, vaccinated individuals already transmit the virus readily. The plan is to test the shots on our kids. During the FDA's review, they admitted this. Dr. Eric Rubin, who sits on the FDA advisory panel that rushed through the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines on children as young as five, was very clear about their ignorance on medium to long-term safety. We're never going to learn about how safe this vaccine is unless we start giving it. That's just the way it goes. That's not just the way it goes with our kids. Join us. Oppose the experimental Pfizer COVID-19 shots on children at VaxSafety.org. Oh, but there's more. There's more. How much money is Fauci making off all this? Rand Paul, Fauci's nemesis, once again, once again, gives it the old college try, tries to hold Fauci accountable. And that is coming up. Uh, Thank you so much to all our advertisers for making it possible for us to do what we do here. Five days a week on the Doc Washburn Show. We appreciate y'all. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guide you through a few easy questions, and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom. The dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. We talk a lot about pushing back against the overreach of the federal government. What better example would there be than Obamacare? Are you like most Americans? Did Obamacare, the so-called Affordable Care Act, make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high copays keep you from going to the doctor? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need to go to a website called MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. When you click on MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, you see the big, bold letters, Affordable Plans. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. And then that big, beautiful red button that says Schedule Call Now. You click on the red button. You book a free consultation with my friend, Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage, and he also makes sure 
that your personalized health coverage gives you a plan that doesn't force you to cover things like abortion, horrible things which would deeply offend your deeply held religious beliefs. MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no copays. Click the big red button, schedule a call now, book a free consultation with Art Wilborn. He makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at MyFamilyHealthPlan.com. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401K or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement? Call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501 503-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. And thank you so much to our advertisers, Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones, Art Wilborn, MyFamilyHealthPlan.com, and Mitch Ward at RedRiverYourWay.com. Our advertisers are our friends, and we appreciate them. Appreciate them a whole lot. Let's uh, let's get to some more about what – now, speaking of which, does anybody remember Fauci's promise? about the vaccines. Anybody remember this? When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe that they are not going to get infected. When people are vaccinated, they can feel safe they're not going to get infected. Well, now Fauci is double-vaxxed and double-boosted, and he's got the China virus. Really? Really? Now, Rand Paul had Fauci... Rand, uh, Fauci was giving a testimony by Zoom because, of course, he's got the COVID. And Rand Paul is doing his level best to try to hold him accountable. And so here's here's how it went. Dr. Fauci, the government recommends uh, everybody take a booster over age five. Are you aware of any studies that show reduction in hospitalization or death for children who take a booster? 
Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. The so then why do you recommend it if there's no evidence? I believe that the recommendation that was made was based on the assumption that if you look at the morbidity and mortality of children within each of the age groups, you know, 0 to 5, 5 to 11. Right. So, so, there, so there, there are no studies, and Americans should all know this, there are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster. The only studies that were permitted, the only studies that were presented were antibody studies. So they say, if we give you a booster, you make antibodies. Now, a lot of scientists would question whether or not that's proof of efficacy of a vaccine. If I give you 10, or if I give a patient 10 mRNA vaccines and they make protein each time or they make antibody each time, is that proof that we should give 10 boosters, Dr. Fauci? Uh, no, I think that is somewhat of an absurd exaggeration. So well, that is the proof that you use. Your committees use that. That's the only proof you have to tell children to take a booster is that they make antibodies. So it's not right, an absurdity. Are, You're already uh, at like five boosters for people. You've had, you know, two or three boosters. It's like, where is the proof? Now, I think there is yeah. probably some indication for older folks that have some risk factors. For younger folks, there's not. But here's the other yeah. thing. There are some risk factors. Factors for for the vaccine. So the risk of myocarditis with a second dose for adolescent boys 12 to 24 is about 80 in a million. This is both from the CDC and from the Israeli study. It's also in the VAERS study, remarkably similar for boys, much higher from boys than girls and much higher than the background. The background's about two. Now remember, VAERS stands for Vaccine Adverse Effects reporting system per million so there is risk and there are risks and you're telling everybody in america just blindly go out there because we made antibodies so it is not an absurd corollary to say if you have 10 in fact you probably make antibodies if you get 100 boosters all right that's not science that's conjecture and we should not be making public policy on it so, Senator Paul, if I might respond to that, uh, we just heard in his opening statement uh, Ranking Member Burr talk about his staff who went to Israel. And if you look at the data from Israel, the boost, both the third shot boost and the fourth shot boost, was associated with a clear-cut clinical effect, mostly in elderly people, but also as they gathered more data, even in people in the 40s and the 50s. So there is clinical data. But, but not in children. Right, not in children. Come on. Well, uh, well, see, here's the thing is, you're not willing to be honest with the American people. So, for example, 75% of kids have had the disease. Why is the CDC not including this in the data? You can ask the question. You can do laboratory tests to find out who's had it and who hasn't had the disease. What is the incidence of hospitalization and death for children who've been infected with COVID, subsequently going to the hospital or dying? What, what, is, what is the possibility if your kid has had COVID, which is 75% of the country's had COVID, what is the chance that my child's going to the hospital or dying? If you look at the number of deaths in pediatrics, Senator, you can see that there are more deaths of people who have had it, of people who have had the disease. Uh, Senator, we also know from other studies that the optimal degree of protection 
when you get infection is to get vaccinated after infection. And in fact, showing reinfection in the era of Omicron and the sublineages, that vaccination... But you can't answer the question I asked. The question I ask is how many kids are dying and how many kids are going to the hospital who've already had COVID? The answer may be zero, but you're not even giving us the data because you have so much wanted to protect everybody from all the data because we're not smart enough to look at the data. When you release data earlier, when the CDC released the data, they left out the category of 18 to 49 on whether or not there was a health benefit for, for adults 18 to 49. Why was it left out? When critics finally complained, it was finally included because there was no health benefit from taking a booster between the 18 to 49 and the CDC study. You think that bothers uh, Fauci? Not on your life. And I, uh, I use that answer advisedly. Let's try it again. Do you think that bothers Fauci? There's no data whatsoever showing that a booster helps anybody in the 18 to 49 year age range. And I asked, do you think that bothers Fauci? And I answered, not on your life. Okay. I said it on purpose. He couldn't care less. But uh, Rand Paul was not through. Rand Paul was not through. This is where it gets really interesting. This is a shorter clip, less than two minutes. Another question for you. The NIH continues to refuse to voluntarily divulge the names of scientists who receive royalties and from which companies. Oh, follow the money. Over the period of time from 2010 to 2016, 27,000 royalty payments were paid to 1,800 NIH employees. We know that not because you told us, but because we forced you to tell us through the Freedom of Information Act. Over $193 million was given to these 18 employee, 1,800 employees. Can you tell me that you have not received a royalty from any entity that you ever oversaw the distribution of money in research grants? Um, well, first of all, let's talk about royalties. That's the question. No, that's the question. Have oh, you ever no, overseen, have you ever received a royalty saying. payment from a company that you later oversaw money going to that company? You know, I don't know as a fact, but I doubt it. I well, well here's the thing is, why don't you let us know? Why don't you reveal sure. how much you've gotten and from what entities? The NIH okay, refuses. Seven, seven, Look, nine. we ask them. We ask them. The NIH, we ask them whether or not who got it and how much. They refuse right. to tell us. They sent it redacted. Here's what I want to know. It's not just about you. Everybody on the vaccine committee, have any of them ever received money from the people who make vaccines? Can you tell me uh, that? Can you tell me if anybody on the vaccine approval committees ever received any money from people who the vaccine. Sound bite, number one. Are you going to let me answer a question? Okay, so let me give you some information. First of all, according to the regulations, people who receive royalties are not required to divulge them even on their financial statement according to the Bayh-Dole Act. Oh, Really? They're not required to tell if their 
getting the money. That's it. That's it. So he's saying, I can I can sit here and uh, just refuse. It's kind of like taking the fifth, isn't it? How much money do you think this guy made from the vaccines that are killing people? This guy's 81 years old. Why, why does he still have this position of power at 81 years old? Probably the highest paid federal government employee. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I, I think it uh, bears some looking into. But the problem is, even if Republicans take back... Uh, the House and the Senate, do you, you think anybody's going to be put in charge of a committee to have some hearings on this guy? I kind of doubt it. Hope I'm wrong, but I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it. Um... Children's Health Defense.org had an article by Megan Redshaw on the 15th. FDA advisors unanimously endorse Pfizer, Moderna, COVID shots for infants and young kids. Ignore pleas to first do no harm. U.S. Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican Texas, said all the risks are to the innocent children and all of the billion-dollar rewards go to the government-protected pharmaceuticals. After advisors to the U.S. FDA voted 21 to nothing Wednesday the 15th to recommend Pfizer's and Moderna's COVID-19 vaccines for infants and young children. The next day, the 16th, Thursday. James Lyons Whaler, Ph.D. at childrenshealthdefense.org. Article entitled, What FDA Advisors Got Wrong About COVID Vaccines for Young Kids. Subtitle, What Members of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Vaccine Advisory Committee Saw and Heard During Wednesday's Meeting should have stopped them from recommending authorization of COVID-19 vaccines for children as young as six months old, but it didn't. Advisors to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday recommended the agency grant emergency use authorization of the Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines for children under five 
Despite questions about safety and efficacy and whether children who are at low risk of serious illness from the virus need the vaccines. Here are a few things members of the U.S. FDA Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee saw and heard before they voted to recommend approval. Anyway, number one, they proceeded for recommendation of approval based on a guess that three doses will correct negative efficacy. So Pfizer has a serious problem. Its two-dose data reflected the reality Children's Health Defense has been reporting about and predicted since the Israeli and Barnstable County data came out. The confidence interval for their estimate of the number of cases prevented by three doses of their vaccine points, if anything, to negative efficacy. The confidence interval crosses zero. The problem is not just that the result is based on a ridiculously small number of data points. Number two, the problem also is that this result confirms, validates the result of the two-dose vaccine. Their measure of vaccine efficacy was only 14.5% seven days after the second dose. The confidence intervals cost zero. So they were not statistically significant. Number three, they relied on proxy outcome measures neutralizing antibodies. Neutralizing antibodies sounds good, but they're the wrong antibodies. The Wuhan 1 virus is extinct. They have a chart, the antibody response to Omicron. And they predict the entire vaccination program is going to drive COVID-19 numbers up across the board routinely and on a regular ongoing basis due to antibody-dependent enhancement, as predicted by Dr. Fantini's analysis. Number four, given these three points alone, FDA might just as well be staring at a blank sheet of paper and rubber stamp the approval. Number five, no one raised the issue of failure to meet the FDA's required 50% efficacy. Number six, their numbers are ridiculously small. Number seven, they're ignoring the risk of altered neurodevelopment. Oh, yeah. The Moderna vaccine especially had high numbers of high fevers, over 104. Many studies exist that show that high fever following vaccination is associated with autism, especially if the kids are given acetaminophen. Number eight. Moderna presented antibody data against the reference strain Wuhan 1, but we don't only care about how good a vaccine is at generating antibodies. Moderna knows this. And the FDA board knows it too. Now you know this too. Number nine, inconsistent case definition. Moderna ran only PCR tests if patients in the vaccinated group had two symptoms. In other words, they made up their own clinical designation of COVID-19 under the CDC's case definition, which is also not correct. Moderna's data showed that in kids two to five, vaccine efficacy was about 37%, but under Moderna's new definition, over 46%. Moderna also used antigen tests, making any measure of efficacy incomparable to other studies. Number 10, risk of hospitalization. Cited out of context last but not least, number 11, they may have broken the rules 
of engagement for open meetings. Any reasonable person would expect that public open meetings held by organizations such as the FDA's committee on this would know and follow administrative rules for open meetings. How is it then that only members of that committee manage to ask questions and voice their opinions now necessary or not necessary? COVID-19 vaccination in children might be after the votes were made to approve the vaccine for children under five. Dr. Merrill Nass was denied an opportunity to speak in the public comment period, yet the same pro-vaccine mother was able to speak two days in a row. Thus, the public may have been denied the opportunity to contribute their comments. This is being looked at by lawyers. If it is true the FDA broke the rules of open meetings, then any ethical judge would rule this vote to recommend is null and void. Uh, You know, we hope. Hope springs eternal, right? We hope. By the way, Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the leading lights of the frontline doctors warning about all this stuff going way back to 2020, is under fire from the American Board of Internal Medicine, who is threatening his medical license for providing false and inaccurate information to patients. Senator Ron Johnson has responded with a call for the American Board of Internal Medicine and Dr. McCullough to participate in an open hearing on Capitol Hill and put it all on the table of public record. Good job. Good job, Senator Johnson. I can't imagine they'll be doing that, though. But God bless you. Look, we've got an open letter. Got an open letter to the the British health facility. A bunch of doctors signed it. The Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency in the U.K., Open letter to the MHRA regarding child death data signals that COVID-19 vaccines may have caused death in children and young adults. Too much money. They say it's urgent. They say the data is available and can be readily examined. They say an investigation must be conducted. They say there are already signs of risk. We write to demand an immediate, urgent investigation to determine whether the COVID-19 vaccines are the cause of significant numbers of deaths seen recently in male children and young adults. We also request that Anonymized data and information known to be available showing how many children have died following a COVID-19 vaccine and within how many days be published for full transparency in the public interest. 
on Thursday, January 13th, 2022, at a hearing in the High Court in London. Evidence was presented showing a significant increase in the number of young male deaths following rollout of the COVID-19 vaccinations compared with a prior five-year average between 2015 and 2019. It's important to look at male deaths separately given what is known about high risks for myocarditis in young males. Between May 1st and December 24th, 2021, there were over 400 registered deaths in 15- to 19-year-old males, 65 more than the 337 five-year average. By contrast, 163 registered deaths in females, 12 less than 175 five-year average. And combining those, 565 deaths of males and females registered in total, 53 more than expected. The Office for National Statistics has accepted that the increase in young male deaths is a statistically significant increase with the mortality rate falling outside the expected confidence intervals from earlier years' data. You know, uh, if you're like me, someone at my age is not really all that plugged into what teenagers are listening to these days. But every once in a while, I find that one of their heroes, one of their sports heroes or social media influencers or musical artists just up and drops dead at 18 or 19 or 20 years old, a congressman, Democrat congressman, who bragged about his whole family being double vaccinated, 17-year-old daughter just didn't wake up one morning dead. No idea why. But you go ahead. You go ahead. Just uh, trust the uh, trust the government. Trust the, uh, the medical establishment. I uh, really can't do that anymore. You know? I mean, I really can't get anywhere near that. And by the way, Daniel Horowitz over the blaze says it is a disgrace that every single governor except Ron DeSantis has put in orders for Pfizer's kill shots for babies. Rather than be distracted by soap opera news, this is what every red state conservative must be focused on. These governors must be made to give an account for genocide. And, you know, there need to be Nuremberg trials for all of them, in in my humble opinion. I agree with uh, Anton Wallman over there on Twitter. Nuremberg 2.0 trials for them all. The latest data show a sudden doubling of cancer instances in vaccinated people in the months following the injection compared to the unvaccinated control group. So, uh, yeah, all the Republican governors, except for DeSantis, are like, hey, send us vaccine kill shots for six-month-olds. Um. So if you're in Arkansas, that's your governor, Asa Hutchinson. Sure, we want to, we want to give the jab to six months old, right? 
you're in Texas, Governor Greg Abbott, sure, we want to give the jab to six-month-olds. Yeah. Governor Kemp of Georgia, Governor Ivey of Alabama, Governor Mississippi, Tennessee, all these red state governors. Yeah. Why not jab six-month-olds? DeSantis is the only one. The only one. Pedro L. Gonzalez over at Chronicles Mag says, the COVID vaccine regime is a crime against humanity and any just society would have military tribunals for everyone who profited from it and enabled it. Yeah. Yeah, they would. So so the mainstream media is lying, saying that DeSantis backed down and he's going to allow the, uh, the vaccine for the little kids in the state anyway. He didn't back down. He never denied doctors the ability to order the stuff. He just was going to be the only state in the union that didn't put the uh, imprimatur of the state government on ordering the stuff. You know what I'm saying? Dr. Pierre Corey out of uh, Milwaukee was um, the first place I ever heard about ivermectin. All right. And he is retweeting out there on Twitter. Florida Surgeon General Joseph A. Ladapo, MD, who said, did the COVID-19 vaccine trials for kids under five show a reduction in severe illness? Did the trials show a benefit for those with a private with a prior COVID-19 infection? Is there a benefit for kids with no pre-existing conditions? Florida puts data over ideology. That's not going to change. Dr. Pierre Corey responded, Florida's Surgeon General is the only major health official in the country willing to publicly call out federal policies which will cause more deaths than they save. Wish there were others who could stand with him against the pharma-controlled feds But alas, alas, there don't seem to be. Let's see. Um, I live in the state of, state of Arkansas, so I know the name of the Arkansas Surgeon General. A guy named uh, Greg Bledsoe. What if he say anything? Let's see. Let's see. Not on Twitter. Not on Twitter. I don't see a thing about it. Guy makes good money, though, being Surgeon General, state of Arkansas, which I would think would be a part-time job, 170000 a, a year. That's, that's, that's not chicken feed for most of us. Anyway. 
So coming up, we still got a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff to talk about. Um, is Dementia Joe a certified pedophile? Did the staff of a late-night network TV show just commit insurrection in the U.S. Capitol? And what is the latest on our January 6th prisoners? A lot of stuff still to talk about. Details coming up. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who've been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton... Make sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt on the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. Do you have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes... You probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American health care. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thanks again to our advertisers and friends, Drs. J.R. and Tonder Crabtree at Arkansas Cervical Center, and not only my, well, Drs. J.R. and Tonder Crabtree are, are not just my friends, not just my advertisers, but they're my doctors. 
And my good buddy Justin Minton, who's not just an advertiser, but also a friend and attorney, my attorney. Appreciate y'all. Appreciate y'all. So what is the deal with uh, Joe Biden and new allegations that he might be a certified pedophile? Well, the, the allegations are not new. But now that the FBI is investigating a woman for possibly stealing and or selling the diary of Joe Biden's daughter. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. He's got a daughter, Ashley Biden. Did you know about that? Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson talked about it Friday evening. I mean, I talked about these allegations way on back, but now the the FBI is publicly saying we're investigating this woman for trying to sell Ashley Biden's diary. Hey, it's real. It's her diary. Just like Hunter Biden's laptop is real. You know? It's not any kind of Russian disinformation. All right, this is this is strong stuff. So here once again are the words from Ashley Biden's diary. Quote I've always been boy crazy, she wrote, hypersexualized at a young age. I remember somewhat being sexualized with a family member. I remember having sex with friends at a young age. Showers with my dad, probably not appropriate. So Ashley Biden wrote this in the context of her struggle with sexual compulsiveness in later life. And she attributes those compulsions to the fact that her father took showers with her in a way that was, quote, not appropriate. Now, we have no reason to doubt that what she wrote is true. She did not write this from public consumption. She wrote it in a diary that, as you just heard, she accidentally left behind in a halfway house in Palm Beach, Florida, in June of 2020, during the presidential race. The woman who took the room that she left, a single mother, found that diary under the bed. Now, if you are the father of daughters, ask yourself, is there any explanation for that behavior that is justifiable? And there's not. It's sick and it's horrifying. Now, Ashley Biden doesn't say how old she was at the time she showered with her father, but obviously she was old enough to remember doing it. And by the way, little kids don't take showers. They take baths. Inappropriate showering with your own daughter? If that's not child molestation, it is definitely close enough to justify a police visit. But the police have not visited Joe Biden. They're not investigating this. Instead, the FBI is breaking to the homes of journalists who brought it to public attention. And now, according to the Daily Mail, again, you just heard this, the feds are investigating a woman called Amy Harris, who had the misfortune of finding the diary. To be clear, none of these people committed crimes, certainly not federal crimes, and yet they are being harassed. And Yeah, they're being harassed, all right. So, um... For years, for years, Joe Biden has been pawing girls and women publicly. Publicly. For years. You didn't know about this? Okay, so... Every two years in January, the Vice President of the United States swears in new 
United States senators and United States senators who have been re-elected. And so it's a big deal. It's uh, really exciting. The whole family shows up, sometimes three generations, and they cover it on C-SPAN. So there's, there's video. And um, <clears throat> on numerous occasions, when Joe Biden was that vice president under Barack Obama, swearing in these new or returning senators, he would do things like tell everybody, okay, look up at the cameras, while he was molesting a little girl in front of him. Getting away with it, except that it's all on video. I mean, all you would have to do, if you're wondering, Doc, what in the world are you talking about? Well, if you look up Creepy Joe Biden on YouTube, you might get it, you might not. If you look up Creepy Joe Biden on Google, you might get it, you might not. But if you look it up on DuckDuckGo, you'll get it. You'll get it. There's plenty of evidence on that. In my humble opinion, he should be in prison for the rest of his days. For the rest of his days. Matter of fact, um, Daily Caller is so where, here, I, where I just played the um, the Tucker Carlson video from. And one of the tweets answering Tucker um, has a two-minute montage, a compilation of a bunch of different instances of Joe Biden um, inappropriately touching little girls in public of these swearing-ins. They got it from the C-SPAN video. Just so you know, just so you know, but now Tucker has made it a big deal since the FBI is confirming the validity of the diary. Got it? Confirming the validity of the diary. Okay, now, did the staff of a late-night network TV show commit insurrection this week at the U.S. Capitol? Well, let's look at this. Ryan Savidra over at Daily Wire, Friday evening, June 17th, With the article, new details emerge about Stephen Colbert staffers who were arrested for unlawful entry into U.S. House building. New details emerged late on Friday evening about the staffers who worked for CBS's The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. They were arrested for allegedly illegally entering an office building for the U.S. House of Representatives. 
Nine individuals were arrested Thursday night for entering the Longworth House office building, which was closed to the public at that point after they previously had been escorted out of another building for trying to conduct interviews related to the January 6th committee hearings. Fox News correspondent Chad Pergram tweeted the staffers tried weeks ago to get credentials for the January 6th committee hearings. The House radio and TV gallery rejected the request from the Colbert team out of hand because they are not news. Pergram reported that the team was allowed in the office building if they were invited, which they supposedly were. Pergram tweeted the Colbert team conducted interviews earlier in the day, Thursday, with January 6th committee members, Representatives Adam Schiff, Democrat California, and Stephanie Murphy, Democrat Florida. They also interviewed Representative Jake Auchincloss, Democrat Massachusetts, who is not a member of the committee. The group then left the House office buildings but were let back in by an aide to Representative Jake Auchincloss because the aide reportedly believed that they had additional work to do. Pergram said the group apparently then roamed the House office buildings unattended for hours. They were arrested near the office of Representative Lauren Boebert, Republican of Colorado, around 8.30 p.m. Eastern and charged with unlawful entry. They were in jail for part of the night before being released. Friday, the nine individuals who uh, were allegedly arrested include Jake Plunkett, Allison Martinez, Tyrone Dean, Stephen Romont, Nicoletta Green, Brendan Hurley, Josh Comers, David Feldman, and Robert Smigel. Chad Pergram noted, Robert Smigel is known for being the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog. He also produced short cartoons for Saturday Night Live's TV Funhouse. U.S. Capitol Police released a statement saying, on June 16, 2022, at approximately 8.30 p.m., U.S. Capitol Police received a call for a disturbance in the Longworth House office building. Responding officers observed seven individuals unescorted and without congressional ID in a sixth-floor hallway. The building was closed to visitors, and these individuals were determined to be a part of a group that had been directed by the Capitol Police to leave the building earlier in the day. They were charged with unlawful entry. This is an active criminal investigation and may result in additional criminal charges after consultation with the U.S. Attorney. A spokesperson for CBS said the staffers were on site to do a comedy segment for Colbert's show and claimed that the interviews were prearranged. The spokesperson said, on Wednesday, June 15th, and Thursday, June 16th, Triumph, the insult comic dog, was on site at the Capitol with a production team to record interviews for a comedy segment on behalf of The Late Show. Their interviews at the Capitol were authorized and prearranged 
through congressional aides of the members interviewed. After leaving, the, after leaving the members' offices on their last interview of the day, the production team stayed to film stand-ups and other final comedy elements in the halls when they were detained by Capitol Police. Well, I guess... Um, I guess what needs to happen is these people need to be held without bail for a year and a half waiting for trial. I mean, that's what happens when you, uh, quote, break into, unquote, U.S. Capitol, right? Am I right? Come on, man. Or is it rules for thee but not for me? Is that the deal? All right. All right, I need to talk to you about what's going on with uh, some of our uh, January 6th political prisoners. But first, Ron DeSantis. If only, if only Ron DeSantis had a time machine, huh? So the question is about gas prices and inflation. You know what I could do? If you could give me a time machine to go back to January 20, 2021... We would just do the opposite of what Biden has done, and we'd be in a better spot. No, I mean, I really think it's, it's got, he's got a lot of chutzpah to attack energy producers when he campaigned saying he was going to shut down energy production in the United States. He said, we're not going to let him drill. We're not going to give leases. We're not going to do any of that. And so then he comes in, he puts really negative policies to try to kneecap American energy production, and of course... That's been a huge driver as to why we now have gas higher than we have ever seen it before in my lifetime in this country. And so he has facilitated this, uh, and I think that's had a huge impact on overall inflation. Yeah, it has. Mm Mm-hmm. Sure has. All right. The January 6th political prisoners. Uh, Bonnie Nichols, just a few days ago, wife of Ryan Nichols, spoke in front of the U.S. Capitol. And this is heartbreaking, but um, it's also infuriating. Here she is. Thank you for having me to here, and thank you for all the people that stand before me and behind me that have taken the time to share the true story about what happened on January 6th and uncover the truth of what's going on in the D.C. Gulag. I'm the wife of Ryan Nichols. He is a husband, a father of two young boys, ages five and just eight. I, I stand here next to Patty Nichols and Don Nichols. And my husband has not seen his children in 514 days. My children do not remember what their father looks like. We have been denied access to see him, not even on video. Have we been been denied access to see him, not even on video, due to COVID? My husband is a Marine veteran. He served his country honorably. He has not been convicted of any crime, and he has no criminal history. He has been labeled as an insurrectionist, and the narrative that they are trying to play is inaccurate. 
My husband owns a nonprofit called Rescue the Universe, where he goes all around the nation rescuing elderly women, children, and animals in hurricanes and natural disasters. He's a hero in his community. And he's been featured on Ellen DeGeneres and many other media stations for his rescue efforts. That is who Ryan Nichols is. And that's who the ruling regime hates. Because he's a Trump supporter. Got it? My husband has been denied access to due process, all of his constitutional rights, which he served his country honorably for. He's been denied access to see his family. He's been denied access to sunlight and nutritional diet. He's been denied access to have a haircut and to shave and to clip his fingernails and his toenails. And the guards and the D.C. gulag told him to chew his toenails off. This is the way that American citizens are being treated here in this country. And guess who's speaking up about it? Hardly anybody in the U.S. Congress. Certainly, none of the people the state of Arkansas sends to the U.S. Congress. Tom Cotton, uh, AWOL. I use that term advisedly. John Bozen, AWOL. Both U.S. Senators, nope. French Hill, AWOL. Bruce Westerman, AWOL. Rick Crawford, AWOL. Steve Womack, AWOL. None of our four U.S. representatives from the state of Arkansas. Marjorie Taylor Greene talks about him from Georgia, Matt Gates from Florida, Paul Gosar from Arizona, Louis Gohmert from Texas, I think Lauren Boebert from Colorado. That's about it. That's about it. It is wrong. It is unconstitutional. It is absolutely disgusting. And I share my testimony here today for everyone in every America to wake up to the truth about what is happening. You guys are being blindsided and brainwashed by the left, by the DOJ, and by the January 6th committee. Amen. They're not telling the truth. They're only telling you one side of the story. They're covering up the truth, and America deserves the truth. Like Joseph McBride said, they only played one part of that video. It was completely edited, and I demand them to uncover the truth, release the tapes, because America deserves that. My husband is not an insurrectionist. He's a Marine veteran. He served four years to serve his country, and this is the way veterans are being treated in America. It is disgusting. This is a nightmare. My family is suffering. My children are suffering, and we need help. We call on congressmen and women. We call on the Republicans to rise up, and I demand you to come forth. I demand you to do your job and do what you took an oath under the, under God to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. This is not the America that we once knew. No, it's not. They ought to do it's something. Disgusting. It is disgusting. I share this testimony for all the women and children that are watching that were too scared and fear for their life to come today because they've been harassed by CNN, by MSNBC, and been told that they will spend the rest of their life in prison. This is disgusting. 
And I ask you, do your research so that you can uncover the truth about what really happened on January 6th. Ryan is known for running to danger in his rescue efforts to help women. And that is exactly what he was doing on January 6th. Ryan could get... Last thing, and I'll make this quick. Most of you have watched the congressional hearings or have heard about them. And we are not going to get a fair trial in D.C. because of the one-sided narrative. The videos that they are showing have been edited to fit their narrative. I've seen the same videos. The DOJ and the January 6th committee are hiding the truth from America and only showing one side of the story. America deserves the truth. Release the full, unedited tapes and tell the truth for once. Thank you, and God bless America. Man. The guards tell him to uh, chew his t- chew his toenails and fingernails off. America, right? Here in America. And nobody will do anything about it. Nobody. will speak up for him. Other than just a handful. Just a handful. A literal handful of people in Congress. Now, one guy that I forgot of the people who are trying to do something about this is a fellow named Troy Nels. And uh, Brother Nels is from, uh, he's from Texas. So let's, let's hear what he has to say. Some of you may not know, but I'm an old county sheriff. I spent 30 years in law enforcement. Ran a relatively large jail, Fort Bend County, Texas, 1,700, 1,800 beds. And as a county, a commitment to make sure that the people you are in charge to keep in your county jail, that you keep them safe. And how do we do that? We do that by having standards. And there was a, a jail commission that would come into the county jail, and some of those visits would be unannounced. But every year you would have an annual inspection. And from the stories that I just heard from Marjorie and, and Annie and Louie, it appears that that this jail in D.C. is not being held to the same standard that sheriffs across Texas, including myself, were held to. And the sad fact is, is I hope that, that the standards here at the jail are not that way because of the individuals inside the jail, that these standards are overlooked because of the people that are actually inside the jail. January 6th protesters. That should be a concern to everybody today, to think that this party will treat people differently based upon which party they belong to. There has to be a standard. There has to be one standard in our county jails across the country, and it just seems this one is exempt, and they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, they should be. But it is foreshadowing what they're going to try to do to Trump. I'm just telling you right now. The January 6th committee, they're going to try to refer, I guarantee you, refer Trump for prosecution. 
You know, on January 5th, you know, these unknown suspects, they, they placed a few pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC. On January 5th, they would discover the next day at around noon. And I hope you all, I feel you all can agree with me that placing pipe bombs on the streets of our nation's capital is a real threat to our democracy. But those individuals have not been identified. They're not sitting among the protesters in the D.C. Gulag. The D.C. government has spent over 15 months holding January 6th protesters for the same crimes, the same crimes that BLM protesters committed in the summer of 2020. Crimes like destruction of property and unlawful entry. In doing so, they have violated their constitutional rights and demonstrated, demonstrated to the American people just how far they will go to selectively punish political opponents. The question is, why doesn't it matter to most of their political opponents in Congress. Could it possibly be that most Republicans in Congress are not actually political opponents of the Democrats? Could could that be it? Like I always say, we're pushing back against the Uniparty. Could that be it? They don't speak out about how the Democrats treat their political opponents because they don't see the Democrats as their political opponents. Could it possibly be that most Republican elected officials in Washington hate their voters, you and me? Only by the grace of God that I wasn't at the Capitol on January 6th. If I could have gotten time off from work, I would have loved to, gone, to have gone to Trump's rally. And when he said, let's go over to the Capitol and protest peacefully, sure. And they would have arrested me. You all know it. You all see it. They release murders and felons into America's largest cities. Yet for over a year, they have locked away individuals who object to their radical rule. And Americans, America, you need to start asking why. Why are Antifa and BLM rioters who vandalized federal monuments and destroyed cities for weeks treated differently? We all know that the Constitution requires a speedy trial. American citizens are being held for offenses related to January 6th, and some of these individuals have not been convicted of anything. They are being held pre-trial with no bail being offered, and the DOJ, listen to me, the DOJ continues to treat these individuals like one would expect of a convicted terrorist. Folks, this is not North Korea. This is not Guantanamo Bay. This is happening two miles, two miles from where we are standing. It is happening in that jail, one of the most foul and unsanitary detention centers in the country. And must not be blindly accepted. We must stand up to the far left's crusade to silence political opposition. My colleagues and I... My colleagues and I will never stop fighting until every American 
every American is guaranteed their God-given constitutional rights as Americans. Thank you. I just wish you had more colleagues willing to fight. I just, I just wish you had more. But they don't. They don't care. Unbelievable. Unbelievable to me. All right, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice online the way you want to have it delivered to your front door. Anywhere in the continental United States. Today's Tweet of the Day from Daily Wire. Climate warrior Barack Obama installing propane tanks totaling 2,500 gallons on Martha's Vineyard property. That's right. Former President Barack Obama has been approved to install several propane tanks totaling 2,500 gallons on his Martha's Vineyard property. The Daily Caller News Foundation flagged the story and noted that the Edgartown, Massachusetts, select board, which approved the request, was astonished by the staggering size of the tanks. Select board member Arthur Smadbeck told the Martha's Vineyard Times, we've never had a private protest. We've never had a private propane tank come to us. The local paper also noted that select board member Michael uh, Donorama noted that propane tanks on the island are typically much smaller in size. You may recall in 2017, Obama was rewarded the, he was awarded the John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award in part for his leadership on climate change. That courageous leadership has included calling upon Americans to reduce their use of fossil fuels. In 2021, the former president chided the entire globe at the COP26 conference for failing to meet his expectations in battling global warming. During a broadcast, Obama told the attendees, Uh, Collectively and individually, we are still falling short. We have not done nearly enough to address this crisis. The consequences of not moving fast enough are becoming apparent all the time. There are times when I am doubtful that humanity can get its act together before it's too late. Most nations have failed to be as ambitious as they need to be. And it goes on and on and on. Yeah, why does a guy who thinks global warming is going to make the the oceans flood the coastlands buy a $15 million estate right on the coast? The Atlantic Ocean there, Massachusetts. 
Eh, just a thought. Thanks again to RedRiverYourWay.com for sponsoring today's Tweet of the Day. You've been listening to Episode 176 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur Sempier the Tenth. And that's the way it is. Sunday, Father's Day, June 19th, 2022.